0: are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene online at BethanyNaz.org. Good morning. I was
1: coming in this morning and uh, I had four people tell me pastor I pray for you and can't tell you how blessed I am when people tell me they pray for me so I wondered this morning Just feeling such a need for God to speak through me today, knowing that I can prepare and what I desperately need, however, is for God to take what I've brought, use it to speak through me to you, to speak through his word to you, to me. So would you just bow your heads for a moment and just ask God to take these next moments that we have together? and to do what he wishes to do in them. Would you just bow your heads for a moment and pray that prayer? And so, Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We are right now in a series called... Um, Okay, we'll just act like we hadn't started yet, and we'll just start all over here. Hey, we're in a series right now called... And uh, the reason we're talking about the church is because it's so important in your life and in your walk with God. plays such a crucial role. And and what happens is, early in the book of Acts, is where we are, and the Holy Spirit comes and fills this 120 believers. It's the birth of the church. They go out, Peter preaches. 3,000 are added to the number that day, okay? And we know that they're already, like, lots of believers. We don't know how many there were at that point, but we know there were some. And then a few days later, that number grows to like 5,000. And so it starts with a few thousand people. Now, look at me for just a moment, will you? 2,000 rather years later, with an existing population of 7 billion people on the planet, a third of them over two and a third billion people claim to follow Jesus' teaching. But think about this. So you got this little band of people who are Jewish who become followers of Jesus. That number begins to grow to 3,000 and 5,000 throughout Galilee and Samaria. And then people like Paul become missionaries and they take the gospel to other parts of the world And it spreads like a wild fire. To the point now that there has never been anybody who has ever lived in the history of the world who has had the level of influence that Jesus has had. I love to say the most influential man who has ever lived in the history of the world. And so you have this church. And here's what's interesting to me. Nobody will ever be able to stop it. This gathering of people, because that's what the church is, it's not building, it's not an organization, it's not a system of committees, etc. It's not an address. It is a gathering of people. Nobody will ever, ever be able to stop this gathering of people who come together for the cause of Christ. Because it is of God. So let me show you what I'm talking about. Grab a Bible, go to with me to the book of Acts chapter five. Okay. Acts chapter five. Now here's what's going on. The disciples have great boldness, but they have been warned to never speak in Jesus name again. Well, they continue to speak in Jesus name. In fact, not only do they continue to speak in Jesus name, but they are performing many signs and wonders. I mean, it's, it's to this point, uh, three, three, three kids come up real quick right here. These come up and join me. Just three kids. Just jump up. Three kids. Come on. One, two. I need one more. I got one more right here. I guess I got four. We'll, we'll go with four. Okay. And so, so you you guys probably can't see this, but can you see my shadow right there? Okay. So one of you be sick and like land on the ground. The other laying, yeah. The other kind of like kneeling beside her, hoping. So hands like this. Yeah. Maybe over here where people can see you, okay? You can hope too. You're, you're, yeah. Okay. Everybody can see. Now, no, you stay with me because you you are Simon Peter, okay? And so here's what they're hoping. Now, there's a shadow. I don't know if you can see it. But they're hoping as Simon Peter walks by, so walk by, that his shadow might fall on her like it just did. And they believed... The crowds were bringing their sick, land them in the streets. They believed if when Peter walked by and his shadow fell on them, that it would make her well and she would get up and be healed. So that was what was going on. Okay, you guys can go. Thank you very much. I mean, that's, that's the kind of thing that was happening. Those were the signs and wonders people were seeing. And they were amazed and believing. I mean, I pastored a church once and people actually believed if they could get their friends, family members to come to a church service at that church, that their lives would be forever changed. And God was moving in such a powerful way that people actually believed if I could just get them to come to one service, just get them here one time, God is going to change their lives forever. I mean, this was the atmosphere of the church, okay? And so what was happening was the chief priest, his associates, religious leaders, they were becoming very jealous. And so what they did was they had Peter and the apostles thrown into prison. Well, an angel came and let them out of prison and sent them back on the streets to preach some more. And so they go and get them again. And they bring them before the Sanhedrin, which is the highest Jewish ruling council and they said I thought we told you to stop don't don't say anything else about Jesus ever again and they said okay we've asked you this question once but we'll ask you again should we obey you or should we obey God we're going to obey God because we have been given this mission Jesus has asked us to do something what he has asked us to do is go make disciples and so that's what we're doing we're telling everybody we can about Jesus and furthermore You are the guys who killed him. But God raised him from the dead. And God exalted Jesus in order that he might bring Israel, your nation, to repentance to find forgiveness of sin. Now that's a big deal. Because always forgiveness of sin came through the temple. And these guys are running the temple. And now, they're claiming that you can get forgiveness of sin, not through the temple, but through this man named Jesus. So when you get to chapter 5, verse 33, here's what it says. When they heard this, they were furious. And they wanted to put them to death. Now, you've got to lean in for this part of the story because this guy steps in, okay? But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a while. Could you guys just wait in there for a few minutes? I want to talk to my friends, okay? Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel... Consider carefully what you intend to do these men. Some time ago, Therese appeared, claiming to be somebody. And about 400 men rallied to him. But he was killed, all of his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. Example number one. Example number two. After that, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and he led a band of people to revolt. He too was killed and all of his followers were scattered. Therefore, in this present case of Jesus, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. Okay? For if their purpose or activity is of human origin it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. And then they called the apostles in and they had them flogged. They beat them. They probably whipped them with whips. Then they ordered them, now we're serious this time, don't speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. And the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace by receiving that whipping in the name. Now listen to what happens next. So day after day and in the temple courts and from house to house. They never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Oh, that's a great, a great amen. I like that. Persecution has existed in the church since day one. And so when we read the book of Acts, we see it happening at the hand of the Jewish people. And there was only one reason behind it. We've got to stop this gathering of people, this ecclesia, this church. It's getting out of hand. You understand, persecution was always because there has always been an effort to stop the church. By the time that you get to the end of the 3rd century, the beginning of the 4th century, the Romans really turn up the heat. That era is called the Great Persecution. Many, 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 many Christians were persecuted. Many, many Christians lost their lives during that era. When you get to the 5th century, it's the Persians. When you get to the 6th century, it continues. And as you move throughout history... You read about persecution taking place among Christian people in China, in India, in Japan. When we think about our current day, it seems like those who are most bent on persecuting the church are people who are of the Islam faith. Radical Muslims. And so today, if you just say where is it the most dangerous to be a Christian you would find it to be in countries like North Korea Somalia Afghanistan, Pakistan Sudan, Syria Yemen Eritrea a little country that I'm familiar with that is in the top 10 worst places for a Christian to exist because of the persecuted church I have a friend named Haptu. And Haptu has an annual dinner where he asks people to give money. And he takes the money and he tries to support the families, the wives and the children in Eritrea of pastors who have been imprisoned, who are living in boxes out in the hot sun. Boxes too small to stand up in. Because they preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. There has always been an effort to stop the church. Although no one will ever stop the church because it is of God, there has always been an effort to stop the church. Now, I think what happens to people like you and me when we pick up the Bible and we read, or any story for that matter, we identify with the good guys, right? And we see we see it through the lens. That they are looking through, and so we read the story, and, and we kind of get it going on here. And oh, they've been jailed. What's oh, bad news? Oh, this guy Gamaliel, he kind of speaks up on their behalf. Yay, we like this part. And then he says this thing about if it's of God, you can't stop it. We go, yeah, you can't stop it. And then they, you know, appear before them again, and we get a little nervous. And then they say, we're going to let you go, and we say, good, they're going to let them go, but first we're going to whip you. No, they whip them. So we kind of see it from their perspective. We read the story like that. So what if you tried to say, well, there's other people in the story. What if we tried to see it from the perspective of the chief priest and his associates? They're running the temple, right? And everybody knows that God lives in the temple. That's where God dwells. And everybody knows that forgiveness of sin... Comes about by God's work from within the temple. And now you've got these people out on the streets, and they're telling everybody that God has exalted Jesus in order that he might bring Israel to repentance and the forgiveness of sins. And furthermore, they're telling everybody that we're the ones who put him to death. And now they're making me more look like more like a chief sinner than I am looking like a chief priest. And in the mind of the religious leaders they said, "We've got to stop the church." Can you see what they're thinking? Let me go back here and see what I'm thinking. The only problem with this idea that we just need to make the church go away, we, we just need to finally bury it and be done with it once and for all, is that one day its founder and leader said, I will build my church and nothing, not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. The church is on the offensive. It is marching forward and it will continue to march forward and it will continue to grow. And while in some parts of the world it may seem like there is not growth, in other parts of the world the church flourishes. And then in another part of the world the church flourishes. And then in another part of the world the church flourishes. And the church of Jesus Christ continues to march on and it will never be stopped. Now, um there are definitely uh, people among us i think about the people that are young growing up in this society who have peers who who when they think about the church kind of have this idea that the church is uncool and people who attend churches are closed-minded and the church is way too conservative and the church is old-fashioned, and really, um, it's just not the end thing to really align yourself with the church today. But it doesn't stop the church. Because the church has always thrived under persecution. I want to say it again. The church has always thrived under persecution. And when you read the story of this New Testament... Every time they tell the apostles, you can't talk about Jesus anymore, they say, oh, no, we're going to find a way to talk about Jesus. And the conversation that I find having with my friends who are pastors is we wonder what would happen if in these United States of America today, if today in the U.S. of A. Some somehow authorities begin to say to people like you and me, "Okay, what you guys are doing right now, you can't do this anymore. This has got to stop. And people like Rick, he can't stand up and do what he's doing anymore. That's got to go away. In fact, if you do what you're doing right now, you're going to be prosecuted, okay? What would happen if in these United States of America, things begin to change over these next 10, 15, 20 years? And we were told, you can't keep doing this. In fact, you can't talk about Jesus anymore. That has to go away. I wonder if finally the Church of Jesus Christ in America would come to life again... And I wonder if we would begin to share the gospel and spread the gospel like we used to spread and share the gospel. It seems to me, and I'm just thinking out loud with you for a minute here, okay? So uh, I'll, I'll move on in a minute. But it seems to me the enemy has said, I need a better tactic. I need a better strategy because persecution is not effective. And he has come to the most affluential country in the world. And he has chosen not a strategy of persecution. But he has chosen a strategy of distraction. I'm going to fill their calendars with busyness. And I'm going to fill their bank accounts with money and I'm going to fill their lives with pleasure and they will be so distracted that sharing Jesus with people will never cross their mind they will be so wrapped up in their lives and their wealth and their comfort and their pleasures and their hobbies and their fun that that they will never think to talk to somebody about Jesus There's always been an effort to stop the church. And it seems to me that the strategy the enemy is using right now for the church in America maybe has been his most effective effort. Our minds are somewhere else. So let's let's think a little more here. So, you you can't stop the church. Jesus says, "I will build it; it will triumph in spite of the enemy's strategy." But but we admit to ourselves that we are living in an environment where there is always an effort to stop the church. Okay, so let's think about the next step. I uh, I have this little lake. We have this little lake in our backyard, and so I have a friend named Tim. I got to see Tim last night, and Tim said to me one time a few months ago, he says, uh, "Do you, you fish all the time? Do you just find yourself going out every evening and dropping a line in the water?" And I said. You know, I don't, I don't even own a fishing pole. No, I don't have a rod and reel. It, you could tell his countenance just fell. He was just like, what, this is awful. I come into my office two days later and there is laying on my desk, rods and reels and fishing equipment and tackle, and all kinds of stuff. He just felt like this was, this need to be corrected. And so I'm home one evening and I think, you know, I should go and get some of that stuff out, put it together at least tell tim i gave it an effort you know and i put some crankbait on i think you're impressed that i know the word crankbait and uh i cast out and uh and i reel in and nothing and i cast out again and i reel in and i'm thinking boy this is getting old really quick here and so my neighbor phil from across the lake yells out have you caught anything and uh and I yell back, not yet. And uh, I throw out a third time and I'm reeling in and something hits that thing pretty hard. It was exciting. I mean, adrenaline. I mean, I, you know, whoa, <laughs> you know, and I'm reeling in and this thing is putting up a fight and, and it's a pretty good sized bat. Well, you know, I don't know, but it was pretty good size. <laughs> I don't know how big it was. I took a picture and I couldn't find the picture yesterday when I looked for it, but, but I caught this fish and I learned something about myself. I don't like fishing, but I love catching. (laughs) Fishing is boring; catching is fun. I mean, fishing is just kind of, but catching, man, that's adrenaline rush. It's you know that that was exciting. I love catching. But if I'm going to catch, I got to fish, right? And you can't stop fishing. Because we've been called fish. We understand that we sow the word and it may not always fall on fertile soil. There's a great story in the Bible about that. But you keep fishing. And the reason you keep fishing. Even though there's sometimes adversity in fishing. Is because we must obey God. We can never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news about Jesus. Now this Gamaliel guy, who is he? He's a Pharisee. What's a Pharisee? A Pharisee, another name for them was separated ones, which means they separated themselves from ordinary life in order to focus all of their energy on keeping the law, okay? He was well honored, respected. He was a teacher of the law. Um, and so he has this other perspective so we've seen through the eyes of the apostles we've seen through the eyes of the chief priest now let's look through the eyes of Gamaliel because he has this other idea even though he is a religious leader he says I don't know that it's such a good idea I think you ought to be careful I think you ought to think this through I mean you remember other revolutionaries who have come along and they have tried to do their thing but it came to nothing they're gone we don't even remember them anymore hardly And so the same with this Jesus guy. If there's nothing to it, it will fail. But if it is of God, you won't be able to stop it. You like that rationale? You do have to pump the brakes and realize that just because a movement grows does not mean it's of God. And just because you can't stomp something out doesn't mean it's of God. Here's an example the religion of Islam. Although I believe they ignore basic tenets of God's revelation, an example would be who Jesus is, they continue to grow. Right? A good secular example would be uh, Hugh Hefner died on Wednesday maybe. 91 years old, the founder of Playboy. That was the beginning of a movement that a lot of us would love to stomp out. Begin to b- build momentum in the 50s, 60s, 70s and Although it is wrecking people's lives, I, I don't get too encouraged that we're going to stomp anything out soon. I think the lesson in this and what we walk away today with is simply this. In spite of adversity, threats, struggles, temptations, Tactics of the enemy, whatever you want to throw in that conversation, you can't stop fishing. We know in our hearts no one will ever stop this mighty move of God called his church. It's not going away, it's not disappearing. Do you remember the story of the, uh, the one-way missionaries a hundred years ago? We know a lot of their names. They would buy one-way tickets to another country far away without buying the return half. And they would stand on the port waving goodbye to family, friends, loved ones, knowing that they would never see them again. Because they had not packed their belongings in suitcases, they packed their belongings, every earthly possession they had in a coffin. Knowing I'll be buried in this coffin, in that land I'm going to, to share the gospel. I'm sure when the crowds were gathering and uh, they were just amazed at this whole thing with the shadow thing and people having such faith and the signs and wonders. I'm sure there were days like ministry is a charge, isn't it? But the religious leaders lined them up on the street one day and ripped their cloaks and their tunics off their backs and laid their backs open with whips and walked away leaving them laying there in their own puddle of blood and their loved ones came and helped them to their feet or carried them away and set up through night after night trying to attend to their wounds. This was never about being easy. Easy. This was never about being safe. This was never about comfort. It was never about affluence. It was about a mission. And I think the greatest question that Bethany First Church has to ask itself today is simply this. What are we going to do about the fact that Jesus has called us to this mission? To take this good news to others. And what is the most effective way to do that in our world today? And that whipping we just described, it did not thwart the effort of the church. It did not shut down the church. In fact, it increased the evangelistic intensity of the church. So let's be the church. And let's commit ourselves that nothing, nothing will keep us from sharing this good news. Amen. So, Jesus gave us some great words. And When people wrote about Jesus, they gave us great encouragement. If two or three of you get together in his name, that's the church. That's the gathering of people. He says, guess what? I will, I will be there. He, he, will, he will be there with you. Jesus will come. And so this morning, we've come together, the church, this gathering of people in Jesus' name. And guess who else is here this morning? Jesus is here. And and this morning, we celebrate His presence in the act of communion. And we receive His grace to be the church. Amen? So stand with me, if you will. And would those of you who are going to service come forward at this time to do so? In a moment... A tray will pass by you, and in the tray there are cups that are double-stacked. Take a stack of those, and in the bottom cup is the bread, and in the top cup is the juice. And you can just take the bread and put it in your hand. And then if you would wait patiently until everybody is served, then we will all eat and drink together. So we practice open communion. You don't have to be a member of this church in order to receive today, but we do... We do encourage you with these words. Everybody is welcome to do this who is seeking Jesus. So after you've received the elements, as we sing together, be patient, and in a moment we'll eat
0: and drink together. How beautiful the hands that serve
1: Jesus was at the table with his disciples and he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to them and he said, this is my body broken for you, take it and eat it and then he took the cup and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant shed for the ransom of many, drink it all of you and be thankful And Father, we are thankful this morning for the gift of your son Jesus and for his presence with us. And for his grace today that is being poured out among us. Give us grace to be the church in Jesus' name.
0: Sing this together. How beautiful the feet that bring the sound of good news and the love of the King. How beautiful the hands that serve the wine and the bread and the sun Father, and the grace of our Lord Jesus, and the power of the Holy Spirit rest in you this week. God bless you. You are dismissed. You have been listening to a message from Bethany, First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.